Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Jason Staples and Greg Barnes. It is our weekly pregame game plan prediction podcast, whatever you want to call it. Start with you, Greg. Carolina coming off two wins, a little bit of a short week going into a Friday night contest at Wake Forest, 6 o'clock, weird time. But, hey, if you want to be on ESPN in prime time, you got to take it uh, however they offer it to you, Greg. But Carolina goes into this game facing a Wake Forest team, I think, that doesn't really get enough credit. But I'm not sure the Tar Heels are getting enough credit. So your overall thoughts on this matchup, I think it's a pretty important one for the Carolina program. Yeah, this is one of those 50-50 games that we talked about, and there's a lot of them on the schedule. Uh, This is certainly one being played in Winston-Salem. I I think, to be honest, the the 6 o'clock start actually probably helps North Carolina just because uh, things are so chaotic in Winston-Salem. If you haven't been there lately, uh, they've got the entirety of of, uh, Business 40 downtown shut down while they do some reconstruction. And so it's a little bit of a mess. So I would imagine that'll, that'll play havoc on on traffic uh, we're i know we're, we're planning on getting there early uh but i agree with you i think i think wake is a good team i think dave clawson has done a, a great job he's won everywhere he's been he's, he's never stayed anywhere quite as long as he stayed at wake and this is a team that uh, that smoked duke last year uh, at the end of the season of course we know duke beat carolina uh, wake also beat state and uh you know state beat carolina so this is this is a talented team. Um, they're favored, which I think is a little interesting. I know they they are at home, which which makes a little bit of a difference. Uh, Wake is playing their third consecutive Friday night game, which is just crazy to me. Uh, but you talk lots about of high the, schools play play on Friday night. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> touche. That, that was a good one. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Wow. <laughs> speakless. <laughs> Not even speechless, just speakless. I'm done. So <laughs> the key point of that is that because Wake played last Friday, they've had a normal week. And as you mentioned, with it being a short week for North Carolina, you know, Mac went so far as to say, look, we even had the late game on Saturday. And so North Carolina typically has a full day of corrections on, on Sunday, and then they give the players Monday off. Well, the players didn't get the day off. So everything's moved up a, a week, moved up a day during the week, and they lose that day off. So it is a little bit different. Uh, Mac has not liked how his teams uh, practiced the first day of the week, typically being Tuesday, uh, being Monday this week. So that's something that, that he harped on again uh, earlier this week. But, yeah, I mean, this is this is just a, a big-time game for North Carolina. You get to 3-0. and 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 everybody's really buying into the hype. I think if you lose this game and people will start saying, eh, well, maybe you know, maybe South Carolina or Miami are not as good as we thought. Maybe this is a little bit of a fluky start. You get to 3-0 and against these teams, I, I don't think anybody that, that has any uh, legitimate say uh, is going to be able to make those kind of comments. Jason, your thoughts on that? I mean, I think 2-0 and is good. 3-0 and starts to really turn my – expectations maybe we'll get to predictions of course later but they're pretty much on schedule for for me uh, this is a game that I think Carolina has traditionally lost um, I know under the past regime uh, they would lose this game I think and you know I think Butch Davis lost a big one at Wake Forest uh, but your your thoughts on a the day shorter week and b how important is this game for what Carolina's trying to accomplish this season? Yeah, there's a lot going on there. I mean, first and foremost, this is an in-state rival. I mean, even though even though Carolina doesn't play them a lot, you're still recruiting North Carolina kids. You're still recruiting against Wake Forest. And yeah, if, if North Carolina wants a kid and Wake Forest wants a kid, you expect that Carolina is going to have the edge there. But if you're the if you're the big dog in state, you need to behave. You need to act like the big dog in state, and you don't lose these matchups. So, I do think it's important just in terms of reestablish. I mean, Mac it ha- preaches all the time about building the the fence around the state of North Carolina, and this is one of those games that matters for that. 
you you don't want to lose a game to to one of the teams in your own state. So I think that matters. I think you're absolutely right about the about the three three and zero is that much better than two and zero because again, every year there are those teams that that have a big win early on, and then by the end of the year, everybody's like, "Man, you remember when we thought that was a big deal win?" And you know, such and such teams two and ten. You're like, okay, well, yeah, and that may happen to South Carolina, and they they may not be a bad football team, but they still could end up, you know, a two or three win team this year just because of schedule and how everything's shaped out, uh, uh, shape shaping up for them. But uh, I think the big thing, the, the biggest thing here that that concerns me is the short week, and the reason for that is that that wasn't just a late Saturday game; that was a very physical game, and that was a very physical game where you've got Crawford and Strobridge in particular that are playing over 60 snaps a piece and you that extra day to let your body heal that matters so I mean I wasn't in practice so I don't know exactly how they've handled it but my my guess is that those guys had a lighter week this week that they're going to be that that those guys have been kind of been bubble wrapped and they're going to go through what they need to in terms of preparation but by and large all right guys we need to have you guys as fresh as possible but that's the sort of thing that, again, it's always the 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 dance that a coach has to do of like, okay, how how much do I want to have this guy out there to make sure that he's getting the reps that he needs against the looks that he's going to see versus making sure that he's fresh? And, you know, some of those things are, are, are going to be an issue coming into this game. And I, I think, again, that was a really physical game against Miami. And now you're on a, on a short week. That's that's not ideal. But again, Friday is not as big of a difference as as Thursday, obviously. You know, so that that is a good thing that if you're going to have a short week, you'd rather have it on Friday night. But like I said, that's the real concern, I think, coming into this more than more than anything else in terms of uh, of, you know, whether the players are, are going to take it as seriously or whatever. One final thing is that because this is a non-conference game, bizarrely, in terms of season goals, it does matter a lot less than everything else. It's just the long term that it matters for recruiting and in-state stuff. So that should be considered as they as they go forward. That yeah, you want to be three and zero, but this isn't a conference game, so that 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 does make it on the season a little bit less important than some of the others that they're going to have moving forward. Yeah, and I think that's a big part of this for me. I, yeah, I don't I don't think Mac is thinking this way. Uh, but going into that game against Miami, I'm kind of thinking if they can somehow somehow steal this game against the Hurricanes to get to one and zero, and when we look at the division before the season started, we were talking you know, Miami, Virginia as the front runners. So you get that one win under your under your belt. Now the Clemson game doesn't mean as much because you you can absorb a loss a lot easier than you can an zero and two start. So you really have three weeks here with Wake, App State, and Clemson, where you can get a lot of guys' reps. You can rest guys up as needed. You can you can tinker a little bit. You can experiment and really hit the ground running once you get to October, and it's all Coastal Division teams. Um, the fact that it is you know, an in-state game, that does carry a lot of importance for Mac and what he wants to do recruiting-wise. I just think this gives them a lot of flexibility because if you lose – you, know, you lose Friday night, you lose next week to App State. Yeah, I mean, it looks bad, but it doesn't hurt what you're trying to accomplish this year. Nobody's expecting North Carolina to go undefeated. But now that you've beaten Miami, there's a possibility that you can win the Coastal. Uh, so this is, a, this is a critical juncture, I think, for this team to make significant strides, to clean up some of their issues so that they're really playing solid ball uh, once we get in October. Yeah, looking at it, and I was listening to you guys talk, and I've been thinking about it. It seemed like the old staff was very good on Thursday night. But this is one of those type games that I think if it was anybody else but Wake Forest, anybody else but a in-state opponent, and they've got two of those in the next two weeks, I would label it probably a trap game, Greg. Is there any sense um, or, or is there any inkling do you think that Mac Brown hasn't completely handled that portion of this for his team. Uh, I mean, I just don't see Brown and his staff ever falling into that. The players may be a different 
thing, but they've certainly bought into Brown and his staff's approach to it. So your thoughts on the trap aspect of it, I just think being in-state opponent takes that away completely. I don't think this team should ever have a trap game. The fact that they have lost (laughs) 18 games the last two years. Yeah, the the big talking point after the ECU game last year was one of the players mentioned, yeah, you know, basically saying they overlooked them. And everybody's like, what? It is, and exactly why I referenced a former time period. Uh, I don't think that's happening with Mike Brown's crowd. No, and that's why I mentioned, you know, one thing that Mac has told his team this week is, you know, Wake beat the dog out of Duke last year, smoked them. And Duke handled North Carolina pretty easily. They also beat State. State, we know, beat Carolina. Uh, so if there's any idea that North Carolina is going to roll into Winston-Salem and just, just beat the dog out of uh, the Demon Deacons, uh, those players better think twice. But I, I think when you combine that aspect along with what's happened the last two years, these guys are trying to get that get past all that. And so, yeah, I mean, if, <clears throat> if that happens uh, – I would, I would hate to be at practice the next day because uh, Mac may seem like a, uh, a gentle old grandpa, uh, but, but clearly he knows what he's doing program-wise, and I, I don't think that's something he would put up with. And those of us who have some of those gentle old grandpas know that those are the ones that you better fear. <laughs> and they know how to tell you to get off their lawn with a quickness now. Yeah, the old guys are the ones that will bust you in the chops and you'll wonder what happened. Mm-hmm. Jason, from a player standpoint, it, where do you, where's the line on being confident? Hey, we can play, we can win. We're starting to learn how to win. We've won two versus getting a little ahead of your skis. I mean, is is that a line that, granted, they should never, just like Greg said, they won two games in, you know, forever. But now that they're 2-0, and o, um, is the confidence, do you think, getting to where, it needs to be for a winning football team, or is there still work to do? Oh, I, I'd be shocked if there wasn't still a lot of work to do. I mean, old habits and losing habits and that sort of thing don't go away in, you know, a couple months. It takes some time. But the 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 confidence of finishing games and feeling so much better conditioned and feeling so much better prepared, that that part I think is there. The sense that, wow, they're doing exactly what we thought they'd do. Like we called this and the staff expected that they would do this and they did that. And we had the counter built in and we were able to, we were able to do exactly what we wanted. That's happened each of the first two weeks where on, you know, in certain key spots, it's like, well, they're calling, they're calling for a specific situation, guessing that the coordinator on the other side is going to do that. And this has happened on both sides of the ball. And all of a sudden, the, the the call that they made is exactly right for what they're going to do. It's like the old tech mobile. I mean, those of you uh, my age or older in the, in, in the, in the audience will remember, you know, Tecmo Super Bowl that, you know, you had like what six plays that you could call. And the key was that you, you had to guess what your opponent was going to call. And if you guess the right defense for against what they were going to do, then you'd get the stop. And there's some element of that that they've been doing. And that does feed into the confidence of your players where they start going, man, our staff really knows what they're doing. And then when the staff gets on them, that helps, again, foster that accountability to say, listen, guys, you better not get too big for your britches because you were in in the wrong spot here. And you you need to get. So that's where a lot of that stuff, I think, still has a lot of room to improve. But I think, again, the first couple of weeks was a real shot in the arm to continue to give credibility to what they're doing and to continue to build the kind of confidence that they're going to need to actually maintain accountability rather than just getting too big for their out, out of their out, out over their skis as you said or too big for their britches yeah, it's an interesting take i mean they, they've got a right to have some confidence but I, I agree it could go away in a hurry friday night in winston-salem let me talk about johnny t-shirt briefly did not mention them to start the podcast. I apologize, Johnny T-Shirt, but I'm going to talk about you now. Johnny T-Shirt on Franklin Street, great place to go when you're in town for a tailgate. App State's at 3.30. No no excuse for not being at Johnny T-Shirt sometime before you partake in your tailgate and head over to Keenan Stadium for that game. Johnny T-Shirt online, if you can't get to Franklin Street, certainly does everything 
and more to great customer service on both places. Alumni owned and operated, just a great place to get your Carolina gear. And of course, a great sponsor of this Inside Carolina podcast. And as a result, Inside Carolina premium subscribers get their 10% off the order in store or online. Great place to go. Johnny T-shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Greg, I don't want to get into the game plan portion of this podcast just yet, but how much does uh, Carolina's linebackers having some depth there now where Dom Ross back fully and John Smith back? Gimmel and Surratt have, I thought, been very well. Uh, I'm not sure I understand how things grade out because their grades haven't been uh, very, very good, I don't think, but how how does that improve the linebacker position to get Ross and now Smith back in the last couple of weeks to have a full strength and healthy uh, crew there? Well, to, to answer your question about the grading, uh, Pro Football Focus, which is the, the company that we, we utilize, they put a lot of emphasis on on tackling as well as coverage skills. And so in the first game, I think both those guys had some missed tackles, which really kind of hurt their grade. Uh, and then against Miami, you know, everybody says, well, Jeremiah Gilmore had 14 tackles. That's impressive. That is good. That's a good number. Um, but when you look at the the coverage aspect of it, I, I think he was targeted eight times with those passes over the middle. Seven of them were caught. Uh, and so he's going to get a, a ding on his grade for that. But I think the coaching staff, because this is, this is his second game. This is a kid uh, who you played sparingly last year. Uh, but I guess he – he he's a kid that uh, they like. They think he has good speed. He's got to get bigger. He's got to get stronger. Um, but they think he's done pretty good the first two games. Same. I mean, Chas Rat has just been an incredible story. And so those guys did what they needed to do. I mean, that they carried the load the first two games. And so now, you know, Dom Ross, who didn't play a whole lot last week, he played about half the game, uh, just because he didn't he didn't practice much ahead of South Carolina because of that suspension. And then, of course, Jonathan Smith hasn't played a whole lot, hadn't practiced a whole lot because he's been suspended for two weeks. So now you're getting those experienced guys back in the mix, uh, and you can you can uh, split the reps a lot more evenly. And if you want to use Dom Ross more as an outside linebacker, you can do that. You have Jonathan Smith needs to be your, your run uh, stopper a little bit more. You can utilize him in that role. So it just gives you a lot more options uh, when, you, when you've got four guys to choose from instead of just two. Jason, how important are Carolina's linebackers in a game like this? I remember last time, or one of the times Carolina was there, uh, Wake Forest absolutely killed them with Michael Campanero running the outside linebackers to death. Uh, So, so Surratt, I mean, does he have to play his best game? Gimmel, does he have to play his best game for Carolina to be able to slow down this Wake Forest offense that's going to throw it all over the field? Well... You'd like for them to have their best game. Certainly wouldn't hurt. But the the thing is, what, what Wake forces you to do is they force you to play really sound team defense. Because this offense is, it is one of the most, it's got to be the most unique thing anybody's doing. I mean, most unique. I know some of the grammar uh, Nazis out there will uh, will have a field day with that since unique already means one of a kind, but whatever, I'm, I'm going to go with it. Um, but it is it, what they do. Nobody else does this whole idea of they, they take RPO to the extreme because they're going to sit there and their quarterback is going to ride the, the, the mesh point with the running back for two or three seconds, some it, it seems like sometimes. I mean, he's just sitting there, just sitting there, just sitting there, just sitting there, and all of a sudden he pulls it and throws it over your head. And so that makes it really difficult on the linebackers to who are often in, in, in a situation where they have two different assignments. They have to fit against the run, and they have curl flat against the pass. Well, they're doing both at once, so they're putting that guy in a conflict all the time, and that's what they do. The interesting thing for me is going to be the chess match of watching how Jay Bateman tries to counter that by changing what his back seven responsibilities are going to be so that, okay, fine, you can option that guy, 
but I'm going to change my responsibility out of this look so that this guy is going to have what what would normally be his past responsibility. So we're going to undercut that. So you better be you better be aware of that. So he he's going to play some games in return. But uh, the big thing to me to beat Wake is your interior defensive linemen have to win and they have to win big because you have to be able to control that inside. It's, it's so similar in a lot of ways to play, playing like a Paul Johnson offense where you have to control those a gaps, you know, basically B gap to B gap. If you can control that with your defensive tackles and force them to, to throw it and force them to run wide, they're totally different. But if they're able to consistently get three, four yards or more with that ride, 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 give it, you're in trouble. If your backers are having to trigger downhill to stop that all the time, you're in serious trouble. So, I mean, you've got to find ways to stop their running game and their RPO, the run part of their RPO game with your front four, with your front three, depending on what front you're in. Or you're gonna ha- you're gonna have a long a long day against them. And the other thing that they do that makes it so difficult is they go warp speed. So they're gonna pair that super long mesh, and they're gonna go the top five pace in the country. I mean, they're gonna go faster than North Carolina's offense does. I mean, it's it's it, they're up and they they're at the line of scrimmage when the ball carrier's handing the ball to the official. So that's also a thing that that what they're trying to do is they're trying to tire you out on the interior. And also get it so that you're eventually going to have a, be a beat late lining up and you're going to have trouble getting your call in. And all of a sudden there's going to be a seam open in the running game, or all of a sudden somebody's going to be just a little bit late on their alignment. And they're going to be throwing it behind that guy into a seam and you've been doing fine for a quarter. And then all of a sudden it's 14, 14 points in the next quarter because your guys are starting to get a little bit fatigued. And that to me, especially on a short week, that's an issue that Carolina is going to have to be very careful with. Uh, and the other thing that, 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 that their pace does is as much as Bateman likes to play games and, and change up some of those assignments and, and do some exotic stuff, the challenge is doing that when they're snapping it with 32 seconds left on the play clock. So finding ways to, to, to get some calls in that vary, vary your looks, finding ways to make sure that your guys are prepared for, for that, for some of the things that Wake's going to throw at you, and then dealing with the, the depth issues up front because they're going to challenge your depth uh, on the defensive line. That, to me, is really where a lot of this game is going to be played, and I'm really interested to see how Bateman's going to attack this and how well he's able to bring in some of his more exotic calls against a team that just doesn't give you much time to call it and doesn't give your, your players much time to make checks. They better just line up. So that, that to me is something really to watch for in this game. Greg, to play off of that, I believe it was Gimmel in his interviews uh, earlier this week talking about the simplicity of the calls coming in. Uh, I think it was him. It, it, correct me if I'm wrong. And how Bateman, at least the calls for the defense aren't complicated, so everybody gets on the same page pretty quickly. I think that plays a huge role in defending what Jason's talking about with this Wake Forest offense. Now, the Wake Forest offense has been great so far this season. Some folks will question who they've played, but I'm not necessarily sure that um, Carolina's defense yet is up to par to, to argue who somebody's played. But the defensive line, to Jason's point, they need to have a big night to help those that back seven. Yeah, and I, th- I think it's important to to reiterate that Bateman only uses the technically only has like six blitzes is what he says. But where it gets unique is in a game to game situation. You know, each week they're changing up where the blitz is coming from, and so the the players have a very strong understanding of the the base of the defense, which is which is critically important. It's not just here's 50 plays that we're running, you know, it's, it's a little bit more um, intermeshed and it's, it allows the guys that kind of know what everybody's supposed to be doing, but then you have this unique dynamic of, okay, well on this particular play though, we're blitzing this guy or we're blitzing this guy. And they work on that during the week. So they have like a foundation in place and then they have some elements to change with, with each week. So that's one of the reasons that the guys kind of like how the scheme set up. Yes, the, the defensive line is, is always going to be important. 
especially here. That's why it's going to be – this is like the one true game uh, early in the year where that depth is going to be so critically important because, like Jason said, Wake moves. I mean, they get up and down the field. They ran you know 100 plays, I guess, in their last game. They're averaging like 84 snaps per game, uh, and they don't have many turnovers. I mean, many penalties. They've, they've had six penalties, I think, on the year. So when you're, you're averaging 85 snaps a game with only three penalties, you're not shooting yourself in the foot a lot. And you know, if you've watched some of Jason's videos the last two weeks, which have been fantastic, but one thing that, that Phil Longo has done a good job of is he'll move somebody in motion with the, the key point of that being for Sam Howe to see, okay, what's the defense showing? Is this a man? Because you know, if you're moving a, a running back or a, a halfback, out and a safety or linebacker follows with him, that's a pretty good indication the team's playing man, and it changes kind of what you're looking to do, and it confirms maybe that you want to go in this direction. Wake does a lot of the same thing. You know, we, we saw a lot of that with kind of the, the triple option that Larry Fedora ran, where you had you know, Ryan Switzer did it a ton, where he'd, he'd come in motion in the backfield, and you'd have that RPO with the quarterback and the running back. Wake does that a lot, and that's one of the, the interesting things in watching the first two games they played. Um, so there's a lot of unique dynamics like that that you, you really do have to get a handle on, and that will be a challenge. And I just want to say, Jason Jason has a way with words. The fact that uh, the RPO uh, exchange is so long at times for Wake, I was watching the Utah State game, and – Jamie Newman took the snap at the six-yard line, so they were right on the goal line. He walked side-by-side with the running back, side-by-side, up into the two-yard line, and you had no idea who had the ball. It ended up being Newman who was able to get into the the end zone for the score. But you see that kind of stuff. You're like, what in the world are they doing? And it's it's just a way of kind of seeing what is the defense giving you in this particular play. If the offensive line is blocking well enough, there's no rush. And you can kind of get an idea of exactly what uh, the opposing defensive coordinator wants to do. So they're very, very disciplined, very well coached. Uh, Jamie Newman's been fantastic this year. He's completing close to 75% of his passes. Hasn't thrown a pick. Uh, and just throwing up for a ton of yards. He's got two really big wide receivers. Uh, and, um, you know, Sage Rapp being one of them. The other kid's 6'5". So big guys, they like to have those wide splits. Seen a lot this year where they'll just throw the ball up to those guys and let them go catch it like a uh, alley oop. And so and they can play. Those guys are they, really, really good. That's right. And so when you can hurry up to the line and snap it really quick with a potential RPO and then just throw a fade, that's tough to stop if you get any kind of protection up front. So that's that's really going to be where the challenge is for, for Jay Bateman. So defensive line, Jason, most important, clearly for North Carolina to have success. But let me ask you a question concerning the the DB wide receiver matchup. How talk to me about how a, a shorter defensive back defends a taller receiver? I mean, how it, it depends a lot on how games are called. But how, how does a a guy like that successfully defend these tall wide receivers without getting picked on without getting interference calls all night well i know i know north carolina is now with with mac being around their football school but i'm gonna i'm gonna go to something that may be a little less familiar and that's basketball uh and you know a lot of a lot of folks have probably seen seen the game played and have watched you know a shorter player get rebounds how's that happen well you teach you teach that guy to box out you, you've got to learn positioning. You've got to learn timing. You've got the, the, it's a lot easier for the taller guy because there are times where if, if the positioning is not perfect, if the timing is not perfect for the smaller guy, the, the bigger guy is going to win. But if you, if you beat the guy to the spot, if you establish your position and you time everything correctly, then you can go up and get the rebound or sometimes let the rebound just fall to your feet. If you, if you really box out well, and so this is where, you know, this is, this is one of those games where Dre Bly earns his money. And I've been so impressed by the technique of the, of the secondary, of the corners in particular, uh, 
the first couple games. Now, Patrice, this would be the game that you want Patrice Renee out there, unfortunately, um, because he's he he could he could be a matchup for either one of those guys. But you know, if you don't have that guy, it it comes down to making sure that your technique is absolutely perfect so that you don't let that guy get it. You got to think about protecting the basket from, from the, from the big player drive into the rim. You can't let him into the, into the lane. You have to beat him to the spot so that he can't get into the lane to go up and dunk. And that's basically what you have to do as a smaller corner. And like I said, Dre has done, I mean, I've been so impressed by how well those guys have, have exemplified the kind the, the techniques that you expect to see out there the last uh, the last couple of weeks that that's really what you got to hang your hat on is that they're going to continue to be able to move their feet, continue to be able to position themselves so that unless it's an absolutely perfect throw and, and you know, there's nothing you can do about a perfect throw and a well-run route. They're going to make it difficult for those guys to execute it just by, you know, jamming them a little bit by, you know, getting over the top and, and you try to wall those guys off and use your, your quickness as a smaller guy to cause some problems there. But the fact is those guys are going to get some, they're going to make some plays and you have to settle that you're going to have a short memory and you're going to say, well, you know, you got yours, but we're not going to let it be a 70 yarder. You know, it may happen. It's going to happen a few times that you're going to give up some plays to those big guys, but you have to make sure that it's not a bunch and that it doesn't happen every time. Good stuff. It'll be an interesting matchup. I like that you uh, said this is a game Dre Bly's money will be earned. It'll be fun to watch those matchups. Sage Charette certainly, well, all of Wake Forest has reason to want a piece of Carolina. That'll be a great matchup. The Surratt brothers, I'm sure they'll see each other face-to-face eventually in this ballgame. Going to take a short break, come back, talk about Carolina's offense against Wake Forest's defense. We'll do it right after the break. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bad. Do average 29 and 11. God, what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing. All right, Greg, let's start on Carolina's offense. Uh, Wake's giving up some points. I don't really see uh, any reason not to expect that again, but Sam Howell's performances have been talked about over and over and over and over again, and rightfully so, but I look for him to have another big game against Wake Forest. Yeah, for sure. This is this is really the, the first game that he's going to play where he doesn't have – you know, an, an uber talented defense facing him. Uh, you know, Wake has given up a lot of points. Uh, they are they are not great by any stretch of the imagination uh, on defense, and I think that's that's going to be something where we get to see maybe some unique aspects from uh, Phil Longo. You know, kind of what does he decide to do? He talked earlier this week about. You know, each week with Sam, as he gets more comfortable, you can add a little bit more to the offense, which is pretty standard fare. Uh, but I think when you have a true freshman and you have a brand new scheme in place, that ratchets up quite a bit. Uh, and the, the fact that Wake is going to want to go fast, that's going to allow North Carolina to kind of match that a little bit if they so choose. And so I think that's going to be beneficial for North Carolina. I mean, when you look at, what Wake Forest has allowed, and they're allowing 6.1 yards per play. Uh, that, that's second worst in the ACC, and that's playing you know, a good offensive team in Utah State, but then a team that, that's really not that good in Rice. And so I think the opportunity is there. Uh, and you know, Wake has been better against the run than they have you know, against the pass. So, again, you know, it's, it's going to be one of those things where if North Carolina can establish the running game, that's really going to open things up for for Sam Howell down the field. I just don't have the concern in looking at what Wake Forest has done in these first two games uh, that I had, you know, when looking at a Miami defense or a South Carolina defense. Nowhere near the talent. I'm not sure if they have that the same quality of coaching on that side of the ball. Uh, so let's see. I'm, I'm sure Jason can can correct me a little bit, but I, I just see this as a game that's going to be up and down the field. Yep, Jason, you envision a shootout. Do you see North Carolina's offense really getting 
uh, going against this Wake Forest Demon Deacon team that probably wouldn't mind a shootout, to be honest. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, it depends on what you mean by a shootout. Um, I, I mean, I think this game's probably going to be one in the in the low to mid 30s. Uh, you know, somewhere in there is is my guess, maybe mid 30s uh, for both teams in that area. In you know, late in the fourth quarter. Uh, so I guess in, in you know, depending on what what counts as a shootout for a defensive guy like like Greg, that's a shootout. So uh, well, that is a shootout. Yeah, this is this is not the uh, Larry Fedora. Uh, 52 48 games that we saw yeah. occasionally. <laughs> yeah, this is not, you know, the 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 Georgia Tech game from a few years right. back. Right. Um but I, yeah, I do think I th- I think there's going to be some points scored in this game. Uh and I think that there are plays to be made against Wake Forest's defense, but I do think that they're well coached. Uh and what they do is again, it's they, they've done a good job of matching their their scheme to the kind of personnel they're able to get. So they run a bunch of odd fronts, but they're really aggressive and and trying to penetrate out of that rather than two gapping. So instead of trying to have one guy cover two gaps and just you know beat his beat his blocker with with size and and hold up like that, like what we uh, highlighted on Inside Carolina this week with with Jason Strobridge uh, dominating at the point of attack there. Instead of asking a guy to do that, they're asking them to get upfield and penetrate. They're going to blitz a good bit. Uh, they're going to bring some pressure. Uh, they play a good bit of quarters in the back end, which that opens the door for Sam Howell to throw some some deep posts in this one, which I, I know he throws that ball pretty well. That's a that's a ball they're comfortable with him throwing. So, you know, that's that's one where I think they're going to try to set set up some sort of play action at some point to get him uh, a nice deep shot on a post route, probably, you know, around the the minus four anywhere but anywhere around midfield I wouldn't be surprised if they took a couple shots in those circumstances just to get the right they'll formation them into into quarters and, and get that that uh, post route that they want but and that's what they've always done against against Pitt we talk about that every year when they play Pitt but uh, I think that they're gonna the, the key here is how well they're gonna be able to block Pitt's kind of pesky defensive front because they're really quick they respond quickly to the to the to the run game and they they can kind of cause problems for your run game with just beating offensive linemen by quickness that said utah state was able to run downhill on them when you get your hands on those guys they're just not very big and north carolina's offensive line is going to be a lot bigger than than uh wake's front and you're going to see when they get when they are able to get their hands on them and you know when they're when they they know exactly where they're going to be stunting and and all of all the movement that they like to do there's going to be some big plays in the run game just because of the size of Carolina up front being able to being able to handle some of the uh smaller players on Wake's front but they'll give up some big they'll, they'll give up a, a few they'll give up some penetration i think they may give up a sack or two uh as a result of of some of that quickness and disguise that Wake's going to bring but I agree, I agree with Greg that there's going to be some points scored in this game and and Carolina's going to have to score some points most likely to win the game. And, so, and to Jason's point, one. Tommy. Yeah, well, for sure. But Jason's on Touché. point with, with what Wake wants to do, but he's also correct that there may only be one or two sacks available. That's where Wake has really, really struggled because they've defended 151 plays this year. They only have 11 tackles for loss. And this is against, again, Utah State and Rice. I think yeah, they, they just don't have the five. talent up front. That's correct. And how does that manifest? Well, if you're if you're sending guys and you're trying to get pressure and you can't get pressure, what happens? Well, that's why Wake Forest has allowed 27 passing plays of 10 yards or more. So <laughs> 13 and a half a game of 10 yards or more. Uh, 10 of 20 or more. So – if if North Carolina is able to have some success up front, giving Sam Howell some time, I think there's a lot of plays to be made downfield. Well, let me ask you, and I, y'all are making me go back and forth on my predictions here for later in the show. Um, I'm swinging a different way right now, but Greg, the importance of Anderson playing well at center at, when you think about what Jason was talking about, the pesky defensive line they have and all the different things they're going to try. I mean, how, how important does that make 
the center position is for either one of you to answer, but Greg first, uh, you know, this is a guy that's played a fair amount this year thus far, but he has nowhere near the experience that even Polino has when Polino went in the center, but how important a position does that become in a game like this for North Carolina? Well, certainly it's an important position. As Jason said, Wake doesn't have an uber amount of talent up front, certainly not what Miami has or even what South Carolina has. <laughs> and if you look at what happened in the Miami game, North Carolina's offense ground to a halt once Polino went out. And what they ultimately figured out to do as they got it late in the third quarter uh, is they started having success running the ball around the edges. And that's why they kind of broke, you know, Javante broke off a big run there to start that, that game-winning drive. But that's where the majority of their success running the ball came after Polino got knocked out. I don't think that's going to be as big of an issue this week against Wake. So that should make it an easier transition for Anderson. Uh, he does have to get a little bit stronger. And I think, I don't know if Murray's completely up to speed, uh, but I think that's a pretty good, what happened against Miami is a pretty good indication of, of what we talked about in the preseason that Murray eventually is going to win that position, provided he lives up to those uh, preseason expectations in terms of what he showed early in camp before he suffered that concussion. Uh, I don't know if he's quite ready yet. I don't know they necessarily need him in this game for that purpose, Uh, but for them to have a a strong run game against some stronger teams in terms of talent up front, that'll be something interesting to watch here in the coming weeks. Jason, can can Wake confuse a guy like Anderson into some wrong checks, or do you think, like Greg said, it's not really going to matter against that defensive front? Um, they definitely, they definitely can confuse him into some wrong checks, and if you're in the wrong check, it it does matter. Uh, that's where you do give up tackles for loss and that sort of thing against an inferior front. the The key is when they're when they do have the check right, when they do have everybody knows who they're going to be responsible for. That's when Wake's kind of in trouble. So that's why you'll see Wake move around so much and try to try to do their thing. But they're going to give up some run plays. I mean, uh, I, I if I'm Phil Longo, I'm disappointed if Carolina doesn't rush for 250 in this game because I'm I'm going to try to run the ball down their throat all game, and I'm I'm going to try to uh, to take the pressure off of Howell against some of the looks that they're going to give him by just pounding him. I mean, again. Uh, you look at Utah State. Utah State pounded them. I don't have the stats right in front of me, but they they ran the ball for a lot in that game, and uh, and they were able to they were able to then parlay that into some big plays in the passing game. And I think that's that that sets the 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 game plan for North Carolina: run the football, and you and you know you're a better run run team than than uh, Utah State, and then use that for some play action down the field and, and give Sam Howell the chance to make some of the downfield throws that he's made. I'm going to stay here, Jason, with you. Let's talk about Sam Howell. You talk about making downfield throws. A lot of people on the message board have asked, you know, why Carolina doesn't really use the middle of the field in the passing game. And, you know, when you've got the guys on the outside like they do and they're open, my question would be, <laughs> why do they need to? But um, do you see – I mean, does that – part of the game plan that part of the arsenal come into play against Wake Forest the the middle of the field throws or is this you know if you can't stop what we're doing why change it you know if you're if you are Phil Longo you hope it doesn't come into play I mean that's by design right now this is that's the that's the training wheels they they still haven't taken those off in terms of asking Howell to to do standard air raid stuff like a bunch of mesh and uh and some of the stuff we broke down that you know will come into play later on in in Longo's offense, where where they're throwing it over the middle, that's a big part. But and and the slot receivers in particular on some of that RPO stuff and all that stuff over the middle, that stuff is going to be there. But they haven't needed to throw it yet. So why why take the chance of of your young quarterback making a wrong read and throwing it dire- directly to a safety or a linebacker when? You can run the football or you can win on verticals. Well, yeah, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to take the ones that are much easier throws that are, that are, that are less questionable decisions for, you know, there's, there's almost nothing that the quarterback can do wrong read wise. And 
let him use his arm talent and let our receivers make their um, use their athleticism. And we only have to go to anything over the middle if they're able to take all that stuff away. And no, and neither South Carolina nor Miami's been able to do it yet. So why go there? That's that's the next step. But you only need it if you need it. So if I'm Longo, I hope they don't have to throw it over the middle. Let's 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 see if we can get to midfield or midseason before we have to start throwing it over the middle. <laughs> I mean, that's 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 great for the development and confidence of his quarterback. Indeed. Let's turn to the prediction part portion of the podcast of the show. Greg, you're up first. Uh, I was looking at the weather when I was thinking about my predictions, so I'm not sure if that affects anything. But your thoughts on this ball game? It's an interesting one. I know exactly who I'd pick uh, last year in this game. I know it. I had an idea who I would pick in the preseason in this game. I had an idea who I would pick before this podcast, but now I don't know. That's why I'm going last. Greg, you're up first. Well, I am officially on the Sam Howell bandwagon. And um, (laughs) the fact that this kid, and I feel like I've mentioned this five times this week, but I think it's important. When trailing in the fourth quarter, he's eight for eight for 139 yards and three touchdowns against power five teams in his first two career starts. Is that good? Yeah. I think it's average. About I, I don't I don't know if I go good, but uh, th- eh, that's all right. And then you know, five thirty eight today. Uh, Nate Silver's website made the comment that in the past twenty years, only three other quarterbacks in any class have put up the same stat line that Hal has against the Power Five team in each of the first two games of the year. I mean, we're talking about a uh, performance thus far that we we haven't seen really in a long time. Uh, you know, I mentioned Philip Rivers, his start at NC State. Uh, you know, after the game Saturday night, that was roughly 20 years ago. That kind of performance out of the gate. Has he been protected? Yes. Has Longo helped him? Yes. Have, have uh, the running game helped? Has the the wide receivers made big catches? All those things, yes. Uh, but for him to have the poise that he's had in late game situations is just, I can't be more impressed. And so because of that, uh, I think he's going to be the key for North Carolina in this game to make some big plays late. I do think it's going to be a back and forth game. Uh, I'm a big fan of Clawson's. I think Jamie Newman's having a a great year thus far. And so I've got North Carolina winning this one late. I do think it's going to be a shootout in terms of maybe not a Fedora shootout, but a Mac Brown shootout. And so I've got North Carolina winning this one. Uh, 35-31. Another close one, four-point game. Jason, you're up. Yeah, I I agree with pretty much everything Greg just said. Uh, I mean, no matter how easy they've tried to make it for Howell, you're still going against a pretty dang good Miami defense, and there were opportunities to make mistakes, and he didn't. And there were oppor- and, and you still have to step up into the rush and make some of the throws that he did, and he threw some straight dimes down the stretch. And that just gives you further confidence in him and and your teammates at that point have that much more confidence in you. And that's the thing about when you have a quarterback that that can play, everybody on the team always believes that they can always win any game because, oh, oh, we're down 14 in the first quarter. That's all right. We can still score points because, you know, our quarterback can play. Oh, you know, it's third and it's third and 17 or fourth and 17. Well, you know, we got one shot, but you know what? I'm I'm betting on our guy. Let's push the chip push the chips to the middle of the table. You know, that that confidence that comes with having a quarterback is such a luxury. And Carolina actually, I mean, I I I'm, I'm going to continue to say Carolina has two of them. Cuz there was not really a gap from everything we saw in the open practice and what we were told uh from from those who were in practice and 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 all of that that there was not really a gap, an appreciable gap between Howell and Ruder. And so, you know, that should give even further confidence that this is not a situation where, you know, if, if Howell struggles for a quarter or whatever, they're totally screwed. So I think that's another thing that, that is, uh, is, is important to note, but ultimately to me, to me, games always come down. The first place I look when I evaluate games is I want to look at the quarterback matchup 
which team has the quarterback that I think is is the better player. And in this one, Wake's got a really good quarterback. But I think Howell at this point has earned the confidence to say, you know, that's probably not a big, big advantage for Wake. So, and you, you may actually say that might be an advantage for North Carolina. I think it might be too, a little too early to be, to declare that for sure. But the other place that I always go is a line of scrimmage. Because if you win the line of scrimmage and you have a, a quarterback that's not a disadvantage, you're going to win like 80% of your games. And in this game, North Carolina has the advantage on the line of scrimmage, just plain and simple. And I think they're going to be able to run the football for 200 plus. Uh, Greg, I know you looked it up and, and sent me a message on this that uh, that uh, Utah State had 180 rushing yards. And North Carolina is a better rushing, rushing attack than Utah State. I think they're going to go for, for 200 plus in this game. And that's going to lead to some some points, and that's going to make it easier on Howell again. And there's no reason to expect him to fall apart against that vigorous uh, home crowd at, at Wake Forest. So I, I think North Carolina wins this game. I think I'm I'm going to, I'm going to go with something like 38-31 in this game. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see maybe even a little higher score from North Carolina based on the way I think they're going to run the football. Good stuff, boys. I, I'm slide over. I'm jumping on the bandwagon. I pick Wake Forest. Welcome to Team Tommy, Tommy. <laughs> yeah, welcome to Team Tommy. We'll go Team Greg today. I'll, uh, <laughs> I um, I, I pick Carolina lose to Wake Forest in the preseason because of the Lucy Charlie Brown effect over the last few years. And listening to the discussion here about their offense. I'm thinking, God, you know, can Carolina control that? But then I remembered your video on Jason Strobridge from earlier in the week or today or yesterday, whenever you posted it. And I, and then your point there about the, the line of scrimmage. I think Carolina gets this game. I think, like I told my buddy sitting next to me in Keenan Stadium, like I've said on this podcast, it just it feels different. So I'm going to go 42-31 Carolina. I do think that weather could play an issue um, and turnovers could play an issue. It's been clean, right clean this year thus far um, for both these teams. So I think they may creep in, but I'll go 42-31 for, to make it a clean sweep. I think an IC clean sweep on the predictions all week, which uh, I don't know if we've agreed on anything, at least since I've been doing this stuff for 20 plus years. I think Got we had it. a lot of agreements last year, Tommy. <laughs> yes, we we did. That is that's kind of like a football game back in '96. We try to forget. We try to forget. Wait, they played year. last year. That's right. <laughs> they were on the field. Uh, I've forgotten all about last year. That's yeah. Thanks, Greg. My memory. Appreciate that. Let me close this one before we start having nightmares. Carolina and Wake Forest uh, Friday night tonight. If you're listening to this Friday morning. Uh, six o'clock in Winston-Salem should be a fun one. Jason and Greg, it's always a pleasure. I appreciate y'all joining me. It was fun. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by T-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.